Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad that you've come ready to study the Bible today. Uh, most of our viewers know what we do. If you're a first-time viewer, let me explain. We just answer Bible questions, actually viewer questions, and most of them are about the Bible. We get a lot of life questions and current event questions, too, but we look for answers in the Bible. There's a phone number and a website at the bottom of your screen. Use those anytime you want to get in touch with us, and uh, you direct the program. So that's what we do here, and we answer as many as we can each week. I've got two partners that help answer questions. Let's get them welcomed. Hi, Jeff Martin down there. Morning, Steve. <laughs> Good morning. And Toby Levering, sir. Hi, Steve. Good morning, Toby. I'm glad you're here and ready to go. Viewers always get the first one, and then we'll get to work on our questions. Uh, the viewer question is about Paul. Uh, he was a Jew, but which tribe was he from? Which tribe of Israel? Judah, Dan, or Benjamin? Give you a multiple choice. And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. Looks like Toby gets number yes, one sir. today, so you set the yeah. set us off First here. First question is how do you know how do we know that Christians took the Lord's Supper on Sunday? Well, we know that because uh, Christians met on the first day of the week. Of course, Jesus rose on the first day of the week on Sunday morning. Uh, we, we believe they gathered together on Sunday. They met together on Sunday, uh, not only because that's you know the day of the week when Jesus rose, but because that's what the, the Scripture uh, illuminates for us, what it shows us about when they met. Now, there's not many verses about the Christians the day, specific day that they met together, but there are a couple. First uh, Corinthians chapter 16, Paul writes concerning the collection of the saints. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Well, why, why would they put that aside on the first day of the week? Because that's when they met together to pool their resources and, and fund the missions and help Paul and, and do the things that the church was doing. So, uh, another scripture which will be on your screen is on Acts, is in Acts chapter 20 verse 7. Luke writes, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. So the scripture is very clear that the Christians were intentional and purposeful about meeting together on the first day of the week uh, for worship, uh, to, to uh, hear the word, to give together, to partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, to sing and to, to praise God uh, and to pray. And so they, those were the things that they did, and that's the day of the week that they did them, and that's how we know it because it's in Scripture. We have the example of the early church, and that's what we try to follow. Hope that helps you. All righty. Got a question about churches. Viewer says, is there a difference between the Church of Christ and the Church of God? Uh, let me give you two answers to that question. Uh, the first one is a real world kind of answer, the kind of answer you'd get if you went on Wikipedia or somewhere and looked up Church of God, Church of Christ, 
Uh, what you'd find is, yes, those are two different religious groups. Uh, the Church of God is one founded by a gentleman back in 1886 and uh, has always been part of the, the Pentecostal holiness movement. Uh, they emphasize speaking in tongues and healing and a few things like that. Uh, so that's how you would read about them on the Internet. Uh, and you'd find if you looked up Church of Christ, you'd find that they are an independent uh, group of churches, uh, non-denominational, have no headquarters, have no creed, uh, just follow the Bible and try to do what the New Testament says. So, yes, those organizations, uh, religions are two different groups completely. Uh, now, the second answer I'll give you is, since the program's not called Know Your Bible, uh, if you look in the Bible, there's no difference between the Church of God and the Church of Christ because there's only one church in the Bible. Uh, the universal church that God adds people to uh, when they are saved. Acts chapter 2, the church started, uh, people heard the gospel message, they were baptized, and Acts 2.42 says God added them to the church. Uh, the church is called a number of different things in the Bible. All of them are descriptive terms. It's called the church of God in Acts 20.28. 20, it's called the churches of Christ in uh, Romans 16.16. 16. It's called the church of the living God. It's called the church of the firstborn. Uh, it's called the Bride of Christ, the Body of Christ. Uh, all of those are descriptive terms of the people who are the church. Uh, Christians are called out. That's what the church means, called out from the world. Uh, when they're saved, they're added to the church. And the Bible describes that church in a number of different ways. So there's your two answers. Yes, unfortunately, we've messed up the one church idea of the Bible. We've formed all kinds of denominations and divisions, and we've got different names for different groups. Uh, it doesn't please God. Uh, he preferred unity. But we have that on earth. Uh, in the Bible, there's just one church. It's called a number of different things. All right, Jeff. Yes, uh, got a perceived contradiction in the Bible here. How do you balance Matthew 5.16 with Matthew 6, 2 through 4? Are our good deeds supposed to be seen or kept secret? And this is a good question. Uh, so we'll start off by looking at, at these two verses, and they both come from the same sermon. Uh, let's start off with Matthew 5.16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay, let's look at Matthew 6, 2 through 4 now. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So if we're reading these chapters in Matthew, and if you're doing your daily Bible reading and you're, and you're doing a few chapters in Matthew, you would, it, just by going over them quickly, it would seem that we're being told to do two things. But if we examine these verses more carefully, we can find the answer actually within them. Uh, the point of the good deeds in Matthew 5, in the verse in Matthew 5, it says to glorify God. And that is always a good thing, biblically speaking. The point of the good deeds in Matthew 6 
uh, the point of why they're doing them is to be honored by others, is to glorify themselves, uh, which is never a good thing, biblically speaking. So the question that we need to ask ourselves about good deeds is not should they be seen or should they be hidden, it's what is our intent with the good deed being considered. And not only what is our intent, but who is glorified within that good deed. Uh, as Christians, our intent should go a step further than just wanting to do good deeds. Uh, it should also be the intent to glorify God. Uh, and that's what we should consider uh, when we're talking about good deeds. So that's how those two verses balance. Okay, good explanation. And uh, a lot of the Bible knowledge that uh, we can gain is just by reading the verse a little more carefully. Absolutely. But it helps to understand kind of the overview of the Bible, what, what it's about and uh, who wrote what and all that. Uh, that's why we've got some Bible study tools that help you get familiar with your Bible. Uh, a lot of our viewers are solid Bible readers and a habit of it, but uh, some don't. And here's a good way to get started. This uh, introductory course here has got eight lessons in it, and it's just a real good basic overview of the Bible. Once you get through that and graduate, you can go on to some other courses uh, that take you into more detail in the Gospels and Book of Acts and lots of Bible study. Great way to learn your Bible and see what God's message is for you. Uh, if you'd rather do an online course, some digital work, then we've got that for you, too. Log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org, and uh, they'll get you signed up for some online courses that you can do uh, whenever you want, uh, wherever you want, and not have to wait for the mail or uh, mess with the print editions. So lots of ways to study the Bible. Phone number, website at the bottom of the screen. Uh, call that number or log on and say you'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you, and you can start to know your Bible a little bit better. All right, Toby, what's your little piece of it the is Know Your Bible? It is about a near-death experience. I don't okay. know if either of you guys have had a near-death experience. This viewer has. Can you explain the white light that I saw when I was near death after a car crash? Well, I cannot explain the white light that you saw. That was your experience, and it would be... Uh, difficult, if not impossible, for me to fully explain what your experience was. I don't know the context and don't know the seriousness of the situation, but I do know that having a near-death experience like that changes you, and it makes you aware of the brevity of life and the understanding that uh, we're never promised uh, anything beyond today, and we don't know how long we have. The Bible really doesn't give specific details about what happens when you die, what happens? Uh, some people describe seeing a, a, a light, um, and that's a pretty common phenomenon that's described for people who who have a near-death experience and come back and tell about it. What is that? We don't know. I mean, it could be that you know they're seeing lights externally, uh, people shining light in your eyes, or eyes, hospital lights, or something like that. It could be uh, the last impulses of your brain it could be a survival mechanism it could be many things or it could be uh, a spiritual experience it could be uh, something that the Lord is doing first Timothy chapter 6 uh, verse 16 Paul says this about God he says uh, he alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light who no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion so 
that God is described in that way, but he says no one can see that light. No one can approach that light. So I don't know. It's uh, hard for me to, to give explanation to your experience, but I will say this. The Bible, though it doesn't describe uh, how your experience will be when you come to death or when you get near it, uh, it does say how you can prepare and the Bible is very clear about that. And there is a verse I can give to you in Hebrews chapter 9. It's verse 27 and 28. Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered to bear, once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Uh, so I hope your near-death experience, uh, I'm glad you survived, uh, but I hope it makes you aware of... Uh, the brevity of life and the importance of preparing um, for the life to come. Hope that helps you. All right. Got a question here that may surprise some of our viewers. Uh, somebody called in and said, can Democrats be Christians since they're pro-abortion? Uh, if you're a longtime viewer of this program, you know we don't do politics here on Know Your Bible. Uh, that's not our purpose and uh, kind of defeats our purpose of knowing the Bible. Uh, but uh, when I got this question, I thought, well, it could be a learning opportunity here, so let's discuss it a little bit. Uh, can Democrats be Christians because of their pro-abortion stand? Uh, let me say this first. Know Your Bible is pro-life. Uh, because we believe the Bible is pro-life. Uh, the Bible talks about the sanctity of life and uh, very specific about it, and we believe that is uh, the biblical uh, understanding that we ought to have. But on this question, I would caution very strongly against thinking we can decide who's a Christian and who's not uh, for any reason, and not just how you vote, but for any reason, uh, getting into the judgment business and deciding that, well, that person's a real Christian and that one's not, uh, is contrary to what the Bible talks about. Uh, so let me lay that groundwork and then let me give you a couple of reasons that uh, the way I would think about the question of can a certain uh, political party be Christians, and we could get that same question from the other side, I'm sure, too, uh, for some other reason. Uh, let me say this. People vote for all kinds of reasons, and many of them are bad reasons. Uh, a lot of people don't think through uh, the whole picture of what they're voting for. Uh, they vote for a specific thing. And I'm sure that the viewer who asked this question, uh, his, his number one priority uh, is the pro-life stand. Uh, that's probably how he decides who to vote for. Uh, but not everybody does that. Other people vote for an economic reason, a selfish economic reason. Uh, some of them vote because of a military stance. They've got a military background and they want to know what a candidate is going to do for the military and all that. Uh, some people vote to protect their Social Security. And some people vote to get their student loans erased. Uh, those are not the best reasons to make a vote, but people do that. So what I'm saying is to judge a whole political party uh, because of the way somebody votes for that party, uh, making a blanket judgment uh, is a really bad practice. I, I don't think I would ever go there. Uh, second thing I would say is when we talk about Christians, 
there are different levels of maturity of Christians. Uh, a brand new Christian still has a lot of world view uh, in them. They, they don't understand the kingdom completely. Uh, they don't think like a Christian, maybe. Uh, Paul talked about that, people who were still carnal, even though they were Christians. They weren't thinking like a Christian. They weren't mature yet. So uh, we take that into consideration, and once again, I'd be very cautious about judging people uh, just because of how they vote, uh, what party they check on the box. Uh, I will say the sanctity of life should be very high on a mature Christian's uh, factors when he votes. Now, sanctity of life is a very important thing, and uh, we ought to have that very, very high on our list before we pull the lever uh, for a D or an R or an independent. So uh, hopefully we learned a little bit from that question, which is political, but we don't want to be political. So you, no, no candidate recommendations? No, we don't, we don't endorse anybody. Yeah, my, my question's a little less controversial than Steve's. Um, does Satan hear your prayers when you pray silently? Um, there isn't a scripture that directly answers this question, and, and I would guess that, that the viewer is, is feeling a little fear in the case that Satan can hear their prayers. So I'll say a few facts that we know from the Bible that might put you at ease and, and help to understand this, the answer to this question a little bit more. Uh, first of all, we know that God hears our prayers. God definitely hears our prayers. He knows everything about, him, uh, about us. He even perceives our, our thoughts. Uh, second of all, we know that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we are praying. Uh, the Bible says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings, too deep for words. That's in Romans 8. Uh, and this is important to know because the Holy Spirit is much more powerful by far than Satan. Uh, lastly, I would say whether or not Satan hears your prayers does not change Satan's intent or plans on your life. His plan is still to destroy you and still to plan evil against you. Um, but that's where we get uh, the, the good news uh, when it comes to a question like this. Um, the Bible doesn't answer this outright, but if we are in Christ, Satan has lost. So if we are in Christ, we have a protector. And whether or not Satan hears the prayers that we pray um, doesn't change the fact that in the end, he will lose. And, and if you're in Christ, you'll have eternal life. So okay, that's, good yeah. answer. Uh, we don't know what all Satan can do. I don't, think right. he, I don't think he's omniscient. I don't think he can know thoughts and things, but the Bible doesn't really come out and say that. So we don't know. Uh, let me take a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, this program, as it says in the introduction, is produced and brought to you by Churches of Christ. And uh, you might also notice that we never ask for money on this program, kind of an unusual religious TV program, but uh, we don't. And that's because we're supported by members of the Churches of Christ. And we like to mention a few of those each week. Uh, let me mention a couple of churches over in Missouri uh, that are strong supporters of Know Your Bible. The Watermill Church of Christ is our partner over there in the Springfield Market. 
uh, take care of a lot of our contacts over there and answering phones and doing things like that for us. We appreciate them. And Mansfield, Missouri, just a little bit east of Springfield, is also a group that uh, supports Know Your Bible. And uh, either of those would be a great place to visit if you live in one of those communities. Uh, if you're looking for a <coughs> church home, you'd certainly be warmly welcomed at either the Watermill Church or the Mansfield Church. Uh, you'd find a group of people that uh, welcome you and uh, think and study the Bible a lot like we do here on this program. So give them a visit or whatever market you're in. Visit the Church of Christ near you. All right, Toby, what's up next? I have a very grave question. Okay. Can someone be raised from the dead today? Would it be possible if we had faith? Um, my answer to that is, it. I don't think so. I don't think it happens today, or uh, the reasons that it did in Scripture uh, are different. And so, uh, let me give an explanation first. If you study through the Bible, by my count, there are nine instances of someone or a group of people being raised from the dead. Um, from the Old Testament to the New, uh, Jesus did three of those, not including his own. He uh, raised the the uh, widow at Nain's son had died, uh, Jairus's daughter, Lazarus, and then, of course, uh, he rose from the dead. And so in each of those instances, Jesus was showing his power and authority over life and death. We have some examples in uh, the New Testament church uh, in the book of Acts, where Peter raised uh, Dorcas, uh, also called Tabitha. Uh, Paul would raise Eutychus when he fell from the window. Uh, and so the, um, there, there's some instances of that happening, but very few. So across you know, all of the span of the Bible, there are very few instances of people being raised from the dead. And when it happened, it was for a specific purpose to show the authority and the power of the one doing the raising, the, the, the power over life and death. Uh, some claim that this, that this does happen today. Uh, the word faith movement is an, uh, probably the most prominent one, uh, but there's no proof of it. Uh, I think if someone raised someone from the dead, that would be a big deal. <laughs> there would be, it would be big news. And so a lot of times, and this is the case with a lot of the uh, groups that claim to do miracles and things, uh, it's, it's a little bit not very well evidenced. <laughs> uh, and the Bi miracles in the Bible, when, whether it was healing someone uh, uh, or raising them from the dead, it was well known that that person, that a legitimate miracle had been done. There could be no questioning of it. These instances today, I don't think were actual instances, um, but they <clears throat> were kind of uh, just a little bit questionable in terms of whether or not they really happened. So no, I don't think that it happens today, and I think the reason that it was done in the Bible was for a, a purpose to show the power and the authority. Let's look at two scriptures, John chapter 11. Uh, verse 25, Jesus said to her, and this is right before he raises Lazarus, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then the verse right after that, he goes on to say, do you believe this? Luke 16, verse 31, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, 
Abraham says <clears throat> to the rich man, he says, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So it, it's a powerful miracle, but Abraham makes the point that, listen, I've, I've sent my prophets, I've, got, I've given you my word, I've sent to you my son. If you're not going to believe all that, <laughs> then what would be the point of raising someone from the dead? Because if people are hard enough heart, they won't believe it. So that's my answer. I don't think it happens today. I don't think there's evidence that it has legitimately happened. I think the reason it happened in the Bible was for a reason and purpose. Hope that helps. Okay, yeah, you said if it happened today, it would be a big deal. It's always been a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you think about it, if there yeah. were, you said, nine yeah, in cases the Bible, yeah. in the Bible. Uh, we've got like 6,000 years of history yeah. here. Uh, that's one every 1,000 years. Yeah. You know, that was a big deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah for <laughs> so sure. It's very, very rare uh, for it to happen even in the whole history of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, and one reason, I think, when you think about it, uh, raising somebody from the dead is kind of a cruel thing to do. Yeah. You know, uh, case of a I Christian, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lazarus yeah. came back. He probably thought, okay, it's good to be back with Mary and Martha, but man, I was with the Lord. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, why did I have to come back? I so, was, I always imagine that picture of Lazarus going to the other <laughs> side, and he's finally, you know, and he's enjoying be- seeing everybody, and he's in paradise. All of a sudden, some angels like Lazarus. We're going to need you back. back. <laughs> Come on back. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, it's a, a rare occasion, so yeah. I don't think it happens either. All right, last question. Uh, how did? How could Abraham be the father of the Jewish faith and not be a Jew? I think we had a question a while back about was Abraham the first Jew, and we said technically he wasn't a Jew, so let's kind of go back through that again. Uh, the Jews do consider... Abraham as Father Abraham, the ancestor of the the Jewish faith. Uh, uh, God uh, called him from the Chaldees, or of the Chaldees, so he was a Chaldean. And he called him and said, I'm going to make from you a great nation. Uh, I'm going to choose my people from your descendants. Uh, But they weren't called Jews then. Uh, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, became called Israel. He became the head of Israel, and he had 12 sons. And one of those sons was Judah. And that's kind of where the term Jew came from. Uh, After the kingdom divided, the northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. And when they went into captivity, the Babylonians, from what we can tell from history, uh, began calling them Jews as a short for Judah, maybe even a pejorative term uh, for Judah. So the very term Jew didn't exist for a long, long time after Abraham. Uh, But Abraham was chosen from Chaldees to be the father of many nations of the nation, uh, be a great nation and bless everybody through it. I think it's okay to call him the first Jew, even though technically (laughs) that's not correct. He was the father of the Jewish nation. All right, we're out of time today. We'll be back next week and answer some more questions, but uh, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. And it is, uh, which tribe was Paul from? Judah, Dan, or Benjamin? And Paul himself said in Philippians 3, 5, that he was a proud member of the tribe of Benjamin. 
so that was his background, and he also told us he was a Pharisee and a few other things about his Jewish history. So, Tribe of Benjamin for Paul. Glad you've been with us today and hope we get your question answered. If not, we're going to come back next week and answer some more of them. So you keep calling them in or logging on and giving us questions. We'll come back and answer them. Until we see you next week, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.